Before we begin today, I'd like for us to take some time for prayer, of course. Our Father, we're grateful to you today that we can be together in worship. We thank you that you are the Holy God, our Father. And through Jesus Christ, your Son, and our intercessor, we can come before you. And we can offer to you first our thanksgiving for every good blessing. We thank you for life. We thank you for health. We thank you especially for our blessings in Christ. We thank you for our redemption. We thank you for the atoning work of Christ and the pardon that is brought through that to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 19th century, Henry Wordsworth Longfellow wrote a poem, the last two lines of which are these. Into each life some rain must fall. Some days must be dark and dreary. Now he knew what he was talking about because he had lost his first wife after two or three years of marriage by a miscarriage. And then a little later on, he lost his second wife who was burned to death. So he knew what it was when he said, into each life some rain must fall. Rain standing there, obviously, for the difficulties and for the trials that life encounters. Today, uh, I think we need to recognize that as believers, as Christians, there are rainy days that we face, if I may use his expression. There are difficult times. Uh, Into each life some rain must fall. When Peter wrote the first letter of, of Peter, the first epistle of Peter, he used a different metaphor. Twice he warned them about and cautioned them about what they were about to face. In the first chapter, he said what you're going to be facing are difficulties that will be testing the genuineness of your faith, and it will be as though you are tested by fire. Notice, by fire. And in the fourth chapter, he reminds them again that you shouldn't be surprised if you face these fiery trials that come to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't, don't think of that as being a strange thing. So whether you want to use the analogy or the metaphor of rain, a rainy day, or a fire, the point is the same that there are difficulties that bring uh, that we face in life. We had a passage that was read there today, and I'd like for you, if you would, to keep that one before you, Isaiah, the, 50, the 30, 43rd chapter. The setting for that is significant to us. The people of Israel, the Jews, were in captivity, in Babylonian captivity. Now, to see what that's like, let's suppose today that each one of you, each one of us, is suddenly taken up and carried to Brazil and set down in Brazil and now start living in Brazil. A new setting altogether. A new kind of culture. And there you are. And you're going to be there now for the rest of your life. So you may have those memories of the past, but here is where you are. But the time came when this would come to an end. 
But still there were difficulties. The 43rd chapter of Isaiah is describing some of the difficulties that they would face. Being down there in Babylon, they were taunted by the Babylonians. You see some of that in Psalm 137, where they said, By the rivers of Babylon we sat down. And there the Babylonians were saying, Sing us a song! But they couldn't sing a song because so much of the joy had gone from them. Now, as we, as we look at this passage before us in Isaiah 43, we remember that there are difficulties and that they are like passing through the waters. I want you to get that expression in your mind. Passing through the waters. And Isaiah does not say, now if you pass through the waters, he says rather, when you pass through the waters. And certainly all of us can see the distinction between those two expressions. And as we, as we look at that passage and we think of the suggestion that it's making, it's saying to us today that we should maintain the right attitude when we pass through the waters. It's not always easy to maintain the right attitude. I think all of us will agree with that. But Scripture stresses to us some basics. And I want to think in these moments that we have together of three basics that are essential in our attitude as we pass through the waters. Obviously, the first one is this, that we face the certainty of passing through the waters. We are living in a fallen world. There is no perfect paradise here on earth. Wherever we are, there are trials that are faced. And right now I'm thinking especially of how almost for a year we have had experiences altogether different in life because of this pandemic. How do we respond? How do we react? Has God forgotten us? That's, that's a normal way of responding. But let's remember that there are trials And there are many trials that are represented by passing through the waters. For example, in the last year, we have seen a terrible thing happen. I was checking at the beginning of 2020, the unemployment rate in this country was 3.5%. 3.5. And then by the middle of May, it was well over 14%. Thankfully, it has come down some but is still above the 6%, close to 7%, which is way beyond what we would like to see. So many people have passed through the waters, losing their jobs. Those with small businesses have passed through the waters. Over 100,000 small businesses have closed as a result of passing through the waters. There are others that are involved as well. Think of the the strain that this has put on marriage and the home, on the strain between husband and wife, the strain in regard to parents and children, as children have had to learn a different way of doing school, not having the social environment that we think of as necessary in school, having to look at a, a monitor or a screen. So, yes, we're passing through the waters. There are illnesses that are involved. 
uh, we're close to 400,000, if not over the 400,000 mark, of those who have died from this in the last year. There are other trials, there are other waters through which we pass. Certainly, as we grow older, we recognize age limitations. And we can agree with that writer of of Ecclesiastes in the last chapter, where he describes an old age experience. And he speaks of our teeth. He says, the grinders cease because they are few. We recognize, as we get a little older, how many trips we have to make to the dentist. But then, there are others passing through trials. Others passing through testing. We, we think in our society today of the big issue of addiction, of drug addiction, of alcoholic addiction, and others. And even many people trying can identify with Paul and say, I don't do what I want, but what the very thing that I do is what I hate. This is a demonstration of the fact that here is what I would like to be, but here is what I find that I'm doing. But added to all of that is the fact that we are living in a society today where the Christian's faith is on trial, and we are rejected by the popular culture around us. Uh, Jesus said to the disciples that the world has hated me, So don't be surprised if the world hates you. And so we have a culture that is against what we're about. Individuals, then, are passing through the waters. But as a congregation, as a group together, we recognize we've been passing through the waters. And we are passing through the waters now. We have limitations in our personal association. You're familiar, I know, with Hebrews 10.25. Sometimes I think people kind of use use that as a club to beat over people's heads. But you need to see the significance of Hebrews 10.25. The writer urges, don't neglect your gathering together. That's the way some are doing. But rather, he thinks of what happens. He says, rather encouraging one another. We need to be together to encourage one another. And one of the experiences of our worship together is the way that we can encourage one another. One of our experiences that we can have in our Bible classes is the way we can encourage one another. But we've had limitations placed upon that. We've had limitations placed upon personal outreach. You can't go up to somebody's door and knock and say, I'd like to come in and visit with you. Because in most cases, people are, if if you're a stranger, uh, most people say, no way, I don't know who you are. What are you carrying? And in some cases, even the closest of friends, the closest of relatives, cannot go into the, uh, the homes of friends and relatives. So we have been limited. We have been limited by the reality of the pandemic. But I'll, along with that now, I think we need to be aware pandemic or no pandemic, there is another trial that we are facing today congregationally. And we are living in a world, in an age that is anti-God, that is anti-Christ, that is anti-Bible. How much of a stick in the mud are you 
if you present yourself as a believer in the Lord, believer in God. So the moral culture of our time is indeed a frightening one. I spoke on this back several weeks ago, and I don't want just to keep driving it into the ground, but I am appalled. I am absolutely appalled at the standards that are accepted today by the cultural norms around us. Anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible. You see it over and over. Only 20 years ago, uh, it was a frightening thing that some people were facing, or even thinking about, that there might be a time in which there would be such a thing as same-sex marriage. No, that wouldn't happen. But now, it is a commonly accepted thing. Why? Because of the cultural norms. And those cultural norms are fed by the media of our time, both the official media and the social media. And here we are now in a world in which that is the reality. You remember Paul said we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. I have no real concern at all or fear today that some uh, police officer will walk through the door and say, you can't worship here anymore. It's against the law for you to practice Christianity in this country. I don't have any fear of that. But what I am fearful about is that little by little, we are letting the cultural norms of our time creep in where our families are fed on the cultural norms instead of on the Word of God. And as a result, then, we're willing to accept whatever society says is an acceptable thing. Well, those are the realities. These are the waters through which we're passing. How are we to react to this challenge? How are we to respond to this challenge? The first thing is just say, well, there's not anything we can do. Just throw up your hands and quit. And too many times, that's what happens. We just throw up our hands and quit. No, that's not the way we respond to it. We don't give up. You remember when God called Moses, the first thing that Moses said in Exodus 3 is, you, you mean you want me to go before Pharaoh? You want me to go before those Israelites? They won't believe me. No, I'm not going there. They won't believe me. But he got convinced that he would be heard. But wait a minute, Lord. I'm not the speaker that you need for this. I'm not eloquent. I don't know how really to talk to people like that. Well, the Lord took care of that. You see, it's possible for us to start finding excuses to give up. No, you don't give up. But how do we respond? I want to share with you two or three thoughts that I think are essential in our response. First, I want you to think of Philippians 1. I want you to think about a setting. Here is a man who has been arrested wrongfully. Here is a man who has been put in prison two years here, and now two years over here in this prison. No assurance that he's going to get out of there. Now, you think that's not passing through the waters? How would you like that experience? I don't want that experience. But as we think about this man... He writes, and he's not out of his mind. He says, first of all, for me to live 
is Christ. Now, whether that be in the prison cell or be in a synagogue where he's given an opportunity to speak or be in the home of of people sharing the gospel, for me to live is Christ. To die, of course, is gain. But what what if I continue to live on? He says further, if I live in the flesh... It is to be for fruitful labor. I want to encourage every one of us today to make a commitment to fruitful labor where we are. Here is a man in prison who could say, if I live on, it's going to be for fruitful labor. When you pass through the waters, make the commitment to fruitful labor. But you say, wait a minute, I'm just one person. How can one person make a difference? Have you ever heard of Edward Hale? I'm only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And because I can't do everything, I'm not going to refuse the one thing I can do. Some variations on that have this at the end. Even though I can't do everything, what I can do, by the grace of God, I will do. One. One person can make a difference. When you pass through the waters, make a difference. Fruitful labor. And find ways, practical ways, then to turn this into a response. Paul said, do good to all. The writer to Hebrews says, encouraging one another. There are four suggestions that I would like to make today. First of all, be sure we stay with the Word. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my pathway. Now, as we stay with the Word, pray. Pray for your own strength. Pray for the strength of your family. Pray for the well-being of others. Pray. Intercessory prayer, praying for one another. One person said, well, I can't do much. I can only pray for you. Can't do much? Think about this. What could be greater than praying for a person? Praying for the strength of an individual. Practically, I said a while ago, you can't go knocking on the door. But you know about a telephone, don't you? We can telephone one another. We have... The Internet, we can, we can send little notes through the Internet to one another. We can send uh, thoughts to one another that encourage. Social media, everybody's heard of social media. Facebook, that's just one example of it. Now, there are all kinds of things that are on Facebook. But why don't we use Facebook in a positive way? Encourage. Build up. Say something that would help someone along the way. Yes, I can respond. I can be of help to others when we pass through the waters. So as we respond to this pandemic, as we respond to passing through the waters, I want us to be able to find the joy of the Lord in all of this. And to remember... As Nehemiah 
told those captives who had returned to a destroyed Jerusalem city, and they began to rebuild, and they had opposition, they had opposition, and they had uh, feuds among themselves. Nehemiah said, remember this, don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And we have assurance then from the Lord in the midst of the waters through which we pass. I I have my Bible opened to Romans the 8th chapter. And when I when I read Romans 8, way back up there in verse 31, I hear Paul asking a question. If God is for us, who, who can be against us? I want to say today, as it's been often said, that you and God are a majority. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, in the reading this morning, did you notice what was said in Isaiah 43, verse 4? Watch that one. Look at that one. God is for us because we are the objects of his love. I, I, I I've been blown away by these words. I came across them a few years ago. Thought, what? And then I let them slip, and then I come back, and they, they make such a difference. Listen to what God says to his people. You are precious in my eyes. And I like to think today, Peggy, the Lord says, you are precious in my eyes. Keith, you are precious in my eyes. You are honored. And more than that, he says, and I love you. Jerry, he's saying to you, I love you. God is for us. We have strength. We have hope in God. And because of that, we can join up with Paul. I I hate to see the way Philippians 4.13 is so often used. It's, It's used in all kinds of things, commercially and otherwise. But in that setting that I described a while ago, here is a man in prison. Doesn't know whether he's going to get out or not. Could face death. But he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God strengthens us. We commit ourselves to him, and he strengthens us. The same one who wrote that, could write a little later, that the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, and the Lord will rescue me and bring me safely to the heavenly kingdom. If you are for God, you turn your eyes toward the Lord, seek to serve him. He is for you, and you can do the job. Now, one other reading that I want to uh, leave with you today. In Romans, the eighth chapter. Who will separate us from the love of God, the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, listen to this, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And what did he just say? I love you. And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us.
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful assurance we have. Why did we go to this text today in Isaiah 43? Because he's calling on us as a congregation to be strong in this time of the pandemic, to be strong congregationally, to be strong individually. He's calling on us to keep the right attitude. Three words that I'd like for you to remember. I am, I can, I will. They're not hard words to remember. I am, I can, I will. This is not a sales talk. This has to do with the reality in our relationship with God. I am a child of the King. That's who I am. That's who you are. Furthermore, I can. Did you hear what Paul said? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can be what the Lord wants me to be. I will. I will give of the very best to my master. I am. I can. I will. Right attitude. Trust. I don't know of any passage that is better for us today than Isaiah 12. God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. One other thought then, rejoice. And again, since we're in Isaiah, I don't know of a greater passage. Again, a passage that has really made a great impact on my understanding and my faith. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. And why? Because he has clothed me in the garments of salvation. And more than that, he has covered me, covered me with the robe of righteousness. Do we recognize who we are? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When they came to the Red Sea, God brought them across. When they came to the Jordan River, God brought them across. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. What shall we do? Commit ourselves faithfully to the Lord. What shall we do? If you need to respond to the Lord to confess your faith in Jesus Christ and become that child of the King, to be baptized into Christ. Everything is ready right now for us to do that. While together we stand and sing.